So good morning to you all. This morning, uh, we're going to take a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to notice um, that throughout her story, there's unveiled our own church narrative, which is that that Kevin was speaking about. We are members of God's great family, seeking to become like Jesus by his empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, to love God, to love one another, and to love his lost and hurting world. So let's pray. Father, we ask you to grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive your voice that's sown throughout this message of Mary this morning, the young girl who chose, you chose, to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Mary was divinely called by God to her task. She was called to be the mother of Jesus, just as you and I are called to our tasks. Mary was chosen by God to, uh, to carry his son to a lost and a dying world. And by so doing, she was leaving her own ideas and her expectations behind. And like Mary, our journey may not go the way that we want or we expect it would go, especially once Christ enters into our lives. Little is known about Mary's personal history. However, her genealogy tells us a lot about her standing as a Hebrew woman. Mary was a direct descendant of King David, which gave Jesus the right to ascend the Jewish throne through both Mary and through her, the adopted uh, father, Joseph. Mary's genealogy is supplied in Luke 3, 23 to 28. Dr. Morris explains the genealogy beginning in Luke 3.23. And he says, clearly Joseph was the son of Jacob. That's uh, stated in Matthew 1.16. So in this verse, Luke 3.23, he says the son of Heli. And that should be understood to be or mean the son-in-law of Heli. Thus the genealogy of Christ in Luke is actually the genealogy of Mary while Matthew gives the story or the genealogy of Joseph. Actually, the word son is not in the original, so it would be legitimate to either use son or son-in-law in that context. And since Matthew and Luke clearly record a common record, it's certain that neither one of them would knowingly incorporate a flagrant, apparent mistake. It is certain that they would uh, that this is the genealogy record of of uh, Mary. The two, two genealogies show that both parents are descendants of David. Joseph through Solomon, Matthew one seven through fifteen, thus inheriting the legal right to the throne, and Mary through Nathan, Luke three twenty three to thirty one, her line thus carrying the seed of David. Mary was also connected by marriage with Elizabeth, who was of the line of, of Aaron, Luke 1.36. So there gives us, there we have given a genealogy base for understanding who Mary was. However, even with this genealogy, Mary did not have any special standing in her community. She was a young Jewish maiden, just like any other young Jewish maiden. Yet perhaps because of her genealogy, her parents may have been more persistent to lay a good foundation 
a biblical foundation, and a belief system that would aid her in making right choices that were God-honoring and God-pleasing. After all, she was referred to as one highly favored by God. Mary is a Hebrew name coming from the word Mara, meaning bitter or bitterness. One would think that God would choose a girl with a good support base to be the mother of his son. No, God actually chose Mary, highly favored of God, to carry his son, but not necessarily with her own resources to carry out his plan. In fact, Mary was a very young girl, and she became pregnant out of wedlock. When her um, husband-to-be, Joseph, realized that she was pregnant out of wedlock, he thought to put her away because of her pregnant state. But with, with an angel's message, he decided to stand with, it, with her to be his wife-to-be. So pregnant out of wedlock, her baby born in an unclean animal stable miles away from home, she, along with Joseph and Jesus, became transients when they fled to Egypt as fugitives from the ruler of, Egypt, of Israel, set on destroying the baby. From there on, her life consisted of bitterness and hardness and impoverishment. All the while, the highly favored woman of God is living in the margins of society. On top of that, the death of Joseph left Mary, a young widow with four or more young children. She must provide for them on her own, living on the edge with other widows, orphans, leopards, and social outcasts. Ruth, who CJ preached about a number of weeks ago, when facing her fate, speaking to others who knew her, put it this way, Call me Mara. My life is full of bitterness. Mary and Ruth both could have said these words, for life was hard for both of these Jewish ladies. And yet Mary chose the higher road by choosing to become better than bitter. Even as circumstances flooded, trying to entangle her and strip her from her calling. No, she and Ruth both found that the end, that God was always been faithful to them and that they were better because of it. Bitter or better, both said yes to living out the bad circumstances and living to see the better plans that God fulfilled. Their stories were also likened to Mephibosheth, who Juan Neva spoke of, and of Job, who Brennan Evans spoke of just a few weeks ago. Many of our biblical forefathers and their mothers encountered bitter circumstances of their lives, and yet they were bitter because of it. Mary's life after the grand entry of God's revelation of his plans for her radically changes. We too may have to make radical adjustments upon discerning God's plans for our own lives. It's no longer my will or my dreams or my vision. In fact, my version of my life may never be fulfilled. Let's face it. After Christ's entry into Mary's life and our own lives, we are blessed, as she was highly blessed and highly favored of God, by becoming his partner and doing his will on earth for his glory. Yes, the same act may have its sacrifice, but it also has its collateral benefits. These benefits arise out of the overflow of seeing God's will done on earth. We see Mary and those who choose to follow the way of God as she lives out John the Baptist's words, 
He must increase, I must decrease. John 3.30 And by this, not only is the world changed, but Mary is changed too. Mary's story, in some ways, our story, is a story of surrender and submission, obedience and faith, joy and blessings, sorrow and grief, clarity and confusion, and transformation. It's the same for us as we join her today, as she lines up her will with God's will and purpose for her, and as we line up with God's will and purpose for our own lives. She had a choice. We have a choice, too. But face it, God and his amazing love, and he shows you the plans that he has for your life, who wouldn't want to do it his way? So we, like Mary, are called by God to submit completely to his will. When Mary was a mere teenager of 12 to 13 years old, she was confronted with a challenge that would rearrange her life forever. In essence, that challenge before her was whether she would completely surrender to God's will as Gabriel greets her and gives her his angelic message from God. Gabriel speaks to Mary as recorded in Luke 1.28 and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And verse 130, don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. Mary was stunned and said, as reported in Luke 134, how can this be? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power from on high will overshadow you. And the Holy One will be born, and he will be called the Son of God. In response, Mary whispers the very famous phrase found in Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done according to your will. Mary, the future mother of Jesus, never wavered from her commitment to walk in the complete surrender to God's will, both before and after her call. In the first instance, she wondered how the Son of God would fill her womb when she was yet a virgin. Later, she would wonder what Jesus meant for her when he proclaimed in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, no one will see the kingdom unless he is born again. How could this be? The mother of Jesus become born again of her own son? What a great mystery this must have been for her as she pondered her life in the context of his life. Was she not his mother? And yet, Mary's great faith and personal experiences with God laid the foundations for her to figure this out too, at least over time. Was Mary nervous after receiving Gabriel's call or his message from God that she was to become the mother of God? (laughs) Certainly. Was she unsure of her own abilities? Uh, Who wouldn't be? Was she nervous about the prophecy that part of her future would include pain? Of course, who wouldn't be? Mary was a bit like a mother who sits up late at night, far past her bedtime, waiting out for her child to return from a date. She's like the father who said his silent, heartfelt prayer as he, we- as he watched his child drive away from the house, taking all those raw instincts into the streets of great danger. 
Mary was like any parent, grandparent, auntie or uncle, teacher or good friend in this room who only wants the best, only the most protection for their child, their grandchild, niece, nephew, student or little friend, knowing full well that life happens and not all life is pleasant and that although life is full of risks, life must be lived out fully. However, Mary was not like many parents and people in the world today, as she was completely committed and surrendered to God, even before he called her to bear his own son. She was so committed to God that she had no room to reject or refuse to carry a son. And that makes Mary a person worth imitating. Again, not that Mary was perfect, but she did demonstrate some great choices at critical times in her life, which allowed her to fulfill God's destiny for her, her family, her nation, and the world. And like us, Mary had to come to a place in her life, most likely after the death and resurrection of Jesus, where she found forgiveness for her sins through Jesus, even if, her, if he is her son. For he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, of the world, John 1, 29. We also learn through Mary that a mother, even one called by God, does not have to be perfect. <laughs> this is great news. It removes a false sense of expectation and it allows us to love God and follow him and his word without a fear of failure. Although Mary was the mother of Jesus, she did make mistakes along the way. For example, when Jesus performed his first miracle, Mary's conversation with him is the most unusual part of the water-turned-to-wine story found in John 2, 1 through 10. <laughs> when, the wedding, when the wedding party ran out of wine, Mary tells Jesus in John 2, 3, they have no more wine. Jesus responded to Mary in verse 4, saying, Woman, why do you involve me? It's not my time. Think of the awkwardness of the situation. Mary's request and conversation with Jesus appears to be totally out of tune with what Jesus is ready to do. Although Jesus performed the miracle, there's a sense in the text that he did so in part because his mother put him on the spot. It's not a, it's not a clear indication of Mary's imperfection, but the second case will help us to see it more clearly. Matthew 12:46 to 47. When he, or Jesus, was speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and the one, <clears throat> your mothers and brother, your mother and brothers are standing outside to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Jesus is pointing to his disciples. That's you and I. Those who are born again do the will of the Father indicating that this one is my brother, sister, and mother. 
This would not always exclude Mary and the other children, her other children, from entering into the kingdom of God. For later, Mary and some of Jesus' siblings do come to know Jesus as Savior by accepting Jesus as the Son of God and being born again in the Spirit into the kingdom of God. If Mary had understood Jesus' calling, she would not have tried to interrupt him, nor even have agreed with the unbelieving brothers that his ministry needed to be tempered by them. Like Mary, we have made mistakes in the past and will certainly make more mistakes in the future. Through it all, God continues to love and forgive us as we walk in repentance and his empowering love. Our task of mothering and fathering and loving one another will get done along this journey, even when we, like Mary, are less than perfect, especially as we learn to rely on his empowering presence, working out humility in our lives. So what is the standard that Mary is supposed to represent? Well, one answer could be to live according to the standards of the 30, uh, Proverbs 31. The author of Proverbs describes the perfect woman over 22 lines of a poem. Each line begins with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's an acrostic poem that speaks of an imaginary woman. She never sleeps. She always works. She manages a fleet of ships. She runs a farm. She manages a staff. She sews sews like a fashion designer. She's a gourmet cook. Her house is immaculate, and her name is not Clara. If we were to see in English what we can't see in Hebrew, perhaps it would be a poem something like this. A is for the apple pie that she bakes. B is for the babies that she loves. C is for the cleaning of the house. Right down to Z is for the zoo that she manages in the backyard. Any woman who tries to literally emulate the woman of Proverbs 31 will understand what the first line means. A wife like this who can find her? Mary was a woman with a Proverbs 31 expectation, for she was a Jew in the times where people were expected to live out the literal translation of the word. Yet even she was not perfect. Even so, Mary was chosen of God, just the way she was. And she was just like any of us, one with a fallen nature, one that fails the perfection test. However, Mary was the perfect choice of God for his purpose. That his son would arrive on earth as the incarnate Christ, God with us. Her son would break the rule of sin over us and offer redemption through his shed blood. But it was, was, but the question is, was Mary perfect? Perhaps not. Maybe words like forgiven, Purchased, redeemed, would paint a better picture of Mary and all of us who are born of the fallen nature, who have come to know Christ as Savior, even as Mary had to come to that same place. So we need that we see another side of Mary's motherly love. At the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Mary didn't stand stoically and passively at the foot of the cross, as if she were already made of stained glass. She crumpled at the cross. She fell down to the depths with mourning, wailing, begging to God, 
the God of heaven, please stop her hell on earth. The prophecy of Simeon at the birth of Jesus suddenly came true. The cross cut deeply into Mary's heart. Despite the pain, Mary was there. She was his mother from the beginning and his mother at the end. Mary, mother of Jesus, called of God, never relinquished her standing as Jesus' mother. Like Mary, we can find mothers and those with mothers' hearts in the halls of children's hospitals, in funeral homes, and in counselor's offices. Mothers and those with mothers' hearts don't relinquish their standing or their love, even if their child is rebellious, harsh, or cruel. Their hearts will never allow it, especially when they know they are called of God to a sacrificial and unfailing love. Sometimes the most difficult decision a mother will ever make comes right at the beginning. There continues to be a brave lot of young women who realize under the rarest of circumstances that the best gift that they, gift that they can give to their child is the gift of adoption. The story is played out repeatedly all over the world, the painful giving up of a baby. The pain is a whole lot like Mary's painful giving up of her son at the cross. But even at the moment of giving up, her love is an important part of the scene. It is sacrificial, it is painful, but it is a loving moment of care. So it is with mothers who relinquish their children to adopting families, those who have, in an act of sacrificial love, given their child to others to raise. These moms need to be applauded, praised, and recognized for their sacrifice and for their love. My husband, Terry, and I thank God daily for the mother who, at the delivery of her baby son, placed him into our arms to adopt and raise as I said. We were very sad for her, but we were very, very overjoyed at the priceless gift she had given. She and God had provided us with our son. What an amazing gift. As a recipient of sexual act of love and sacrifice, we had the privilege and the responsibility that was beyond our own belief. We had the privilege of raising our son to be all that God and our son's birth mother would desire him to be. And it was sobering. We continued to marvel at having been chosen for the privilege of becoming mother and father to our son Isaiah. When a woman becomes a mother and when a man becomes a father, there's an instant realization that the day will certainly come when pain will dominate the picture. The crosses are different for every family, but frankly, the crosses will come. There may be a divorce or a disease or death. There may be harsh words, unacceptable actions. There may be tough love and impossible nights. Through it all, mothers and fathers and loving others, 
like Mary, called by God, never relinquish their place. Even when the cost involves involves watching his son die on the cross of Calvary, we see Mary, mother of Jesus, remaining in his presence. Mary also had a chance to see God's redemption play out in her own life. She had suffered through the shame of being pregnant out of wedlock. Then in the time of her labor and delivery, her son was birthed in an unclean animal stable far from home and family. And lastly, seeing her son mocked and crucified, hanging naked on a cross, being made a public public spectacle, these points of shame were only a part of her story. In my vision of Mary in the last days, I see her come a full circle of faith to a place of worshiping her own son, the Son of God, as Savior and Lord, and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Just imagine Mary, birth mother of Jesus, saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and witnessing and participating in the miracle signs and wonders of the last day. All I can say is, Mary, you were truly highly favored of God. What an amazing gift. What a heavy weight. Mary both received from God and yielded to God. And yes, she did live long enough for parenting a birth, a child birthed out of wedlock to make sense. Long enough to be saved through the sacrificial death of her very own son. Think of this. At this point in historical perspective, Mary, a Jew, is standing at the cross knowing the son of Abraham, knowing the story of the son of Abraham and Isaac, and their journey up the mountain to make a sacrifice to God, where Abraham, at God's direction, prepares to sacrifice his son. In that story, Abraham lifted up the knife to sacrifice his son, and God intervened, and he provided a sacrificial lamb. But this story must have given Mary strength to walk by faith during Jesus' mock trial, beatings, and the long journey up Golgotha with the cross on his back, where he was then nailed to that very cross. Even knowing that Jesus must die, she must have felt anguish when he was left there hanging on that cross until death had its way. Mary's anguish must have been palpable. When there was no intervention, when the sword stabbed his side and he was finished, No intervention to save her son. This must have been an amazing test of her faith in God. God, you saved Isaac. Surely you could have saved my son. Yet in reality, she knew in her heart that things were just like Simeon had said in that temple at Jesus' dedication when he prophesied over her baby son. He spoke great anguish would, that, of the great anguish she would bear. And so it came to pass at that moment, at that time, how well she knew the truth. Yet as a mother, she had hoped it would never come to pass. Reality set in. Mary despaired, as did all of his followers. Jesus was dead. Consider this irony. 
Mary, who carried Jesus in her womb, where his life on earth began as God, was born into into this life through her, and later at the end of of his life, she was born again through him. Her part was not finished until Jesus was born into her womb, through her womb, walked in the earthly ministry, suffered and died on Calvary, was placed in a tomb with a stone rolled to seal it, and on the third day he rose again into a resurrection life. Mary was not finished. She remained a part of the morning, hoping that he would return. She became a participant at the celebration of his resurrection and may have been among the small group gathered in that upper room that witnessed the powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It was there she must have been waiting with his disciples. Mary, having been born again, can be presumed to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit released to speak in other tongues, work the miracle signs and wonders, and witness the ministry of Jesus being multiplied across the earth. While Mary, Mary was not merely the birth mother of Jesus, she became one of his followers and his witnesses and was a part of his ministry to the lost, spreading the news, the good news of his new, of new birth for those who would be born again of the Spirit. In the name of her son, the Savior and King, Jesus. It was her son, James, brother of Jesus, who was also born again, became a key leader of the church in, in Jerusalem. No, Mary would not likely retire after Jesus' resurrection, for she knew the whole story. And nothing could stop her from sharing it. She also shared the captivating idea that she, the mother of Jesus, was born again in him. What an irony. God, you alone, could write such a story with such a wondrous plot as this. Mother gives life to son. Son gives new life to mother. And God smiled. So what's the amazing story that God is developing in and through your life? The living son of God living in your heart and life today, is seeking to release you to fulfill your destiny in him. You don't have to be Mary, the mother of Jesus, to be chosen and used for his glory. Just think Mary was simply one who loved God, was obedient to him. Since God is not a respecter of people, why would you think any less of what he's calling you to do? In closing, Mary, a.k.a. Mara, had plenty to be bitter over. Life was hard, and then Jesus died, and she was left alone with her children. She must have wondered, why, what does it really mean to be called one highly favored of God? Lord favored by hardship? By marginalized living? By a son I just don't get? And now even Joseph is gone? Mary could have cried out, woe is me, I'm undone, Lord, I'm Mara, the bitter one, I'm caught up in a bitter life. But she either didn't come to that place, 
or with God's help, she didn't stay there. No, in the end, Mary, like Martha, Mephibosheth, and Job, was set free and released from shame. Jesus distilled the shame, broke the lies, set her free from captivity and bitter, and captivity. Bitter? No. Mary must have chosen to look up at some point and take God at his word. Blessed are you, Mary, highly favored of God. And with that, she must have come to her senses and realized God's ways and thoughts are higher and better than hers. And with that, threw off shame, bitterness, discouragement, despair, and began to walk one day at a time, singing psalms and hymns and praises to God, walking as one highly favored of God. Max Lucado once said that many of us miss out on God's great grace by trying to assist or resist him. When we think we are too uh, bad or too busy, we miss out on the very reason we're placed on earth, to be pregnant with heaven's child that lives through us, to be so full of him that we could say with Paul, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. What would, what would that be like? To have a child within us is a miracle, but to have Christ within? To have my voice but him speaking, my step but Christ leading, my heart but his love beating in me, through me, with me. What's it like to have Christ on the inside? To tap his strength when mine expires, to feel the force of heaven's fires, raging, purging, wrong desires. Could Christ become myself entire? So much him, so little me, that in my eyes it's him they see. What's it like to a Mary be, no longer I? but Christ in me. Now, but I'd like to thank you all for being here. But our, um, our ministry time is open, and uh, we've asked the ministry team to come forward and be available for those that would like a time of uh, prayer. And you might want to come up to respond to the message and something that is ta- uh, that's touched your heart that you want to respond to. But you might also want healing or someone to just um, hear you about a problem you're facing and would stand with you and pray with you. So if you would like to come forward now for the prayer team and those that would like prayer, the time is open for you.